Hello and welcome back to our story. I hope you're staying well and happy. I know how hard it is to uh, maintain that balance at the moment, so just do your best to look after your physical and mental well-being as much as you can. So on this episode today, we I well, I will be discussing section 28. Um, it's also known as clause 28. I wanted to start out by giving a a brief bit of information um, and history on the subject before we dive into the chat that I have with William Barnes and Grace Anderson. The information, oh sorry, the information that I have was taken from lgbtplushistorymonth.co.uk. It has so much information on this website, um, which is really great reading. They have uh, some extracts as well from the Pink News from 2003 and also Gay Times. Um, And you can just click onto those links and they'll take you to uh, those papers that were talking about the reappeal just a few months before it actually happened in November that year. I'll add um, those links as well actually um, somewhere on here. They're very easy to find, and like I said, it's uh, lgbtplushistorymonth.co.uk. So, Section 28 of the Local Government Act 1988 was a controversial amendment to the UK's Local Government Act 1986. It was enacted on the 24th of May 1988, and it was reappealed on June the 21st in 2000 in Scotland, um, and on the 18th of November in 2003 in the rest of the UK by section 122 of the Local Government Act 2003. The amendment stated that a local authority shall not intentionally promote homosexuality or publish material with the intention of promoting homosexuality or promote the teaching in any maintained school of the acceptability of homosexuality as a pretended family relationship. Some people believed that Section 28 prohibited local councils from distributing any material, whether plays, leaflets, books, etc., that portrayed gay relationships as anything other than abnormal. Teachers and educational staff in some cases were afraid of discussing gay issues with students for fear of losing state funding. Because it did not create a criminal offence, no prosecution was ever brought under this provision. But its existence caused many groups to close or limit their activities or self-censor. For example, a number of lesbian, gay, transgender and bisexual student support groups in schools and colleges across Britain were closed due to fears by council legal staff that that they would cause a breach to the Act. So, Section 28 originated in the social transition in British society from homosexuality as illegal but discussed to legal but not always approved. Following debate in the 1950s and the 1967 decriminalisation of homosexual acts for those over the age of 21 in the Sexual Offences Act 1967. The 1980s were turbulent years politically in the UK, coinciding with the large-scale social changes of the Thatcher government, 
and with also the rise of AIDS. The spread of AIDS had also brought about a widespread fear, much of which was directed at gays and bisexuals. Some believe that sexual orientation played a factor in the spread of the disease and negative, often unfair sentiments towards the homosexual community were a consequence. These sentiments intensified already existing opposition to school policies, activities and practices, which supporters claimed were efforts to be inclusive of sexual minorities and which opponents deemed as the promotion of homosexuality. In 1983, the Daily Mail reported um, that a copy of a book entitled Jenny, Elizabeth, Eric and Martin, which uh, Grace uh, mentions in our chat, I think it's, uh, I think it's, no, William mentions it at the end. Um, my cousin uh, tagged me in this as well, which I 100% need to go and have a look at. I think you can actually find it in um, like a PDF format on the internet. Of course, the internet has everything. Um, so the book was a, about a little girl who lives with her father and his gay partner. It was provided in a school library run by the Labour-controlled Inner London Education Authority. However, it was not until 1986 that major controversy arose and widespread protest demonstrations made a major contribution towards the subsequent passing of Section 28. It was eventually made law on the 24th of May in 1988. The night before this, several protests were staged by lesbian women, including abseiling into Parliament and a famous invasion of the BBC's Six O'Clock News, you can find all these uh, videos online. They're fantastic. After the uh, the Section 28 was passed, there was a lot of debate as to whether it actually applied in schools or whether it only applied to local authorities. This left a lot of schools and teachers um, confused with what they're actually permitted to talk about, and they tended to err on the side of caution. I know how much since, um, sort of how much I've, learned about looking back on my time at school um by you know by doing research on this topic and realizing how teachers at the time would have had uh, either no idea to talk about it or whether they even could um so it was passed in 2003 i was only 13 i guess i would have been in secondary school um yeah it would have been but then before that in in primary school it's you know it wasn't even a thing you bullied about it um but no one knows what to say to you when you're that when you're at that age whether it was because of that my age or they just weren't allowed or um there was still that kind of fear put into teachers that if they talked about it they could get into trouble for it So eventually, the uh, the law was reappealed in Scotland uh, in June, June the twenty first in two thousand, and and then it was reappealed in the rest of the UK on the eighteenth of November in two thousand and three. There was an attempt um, for the reappeal actually as well in February two thousand, um, at the start of February, and it was defeated by the House of Lords campaign led by Baroness Young. 
I hope that gave you some information about Section 28, a little bit about it anyway. Um, if you want to obviously know more, you can go on to this website that I've told you about. Um, and they have all the information on there and even like a little timeline as well, which is really great. It just it just breaks it all down. So I really hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. I'm going to let the rest of it play out now. I have to say I'm not 100% happy with some of the uh, the sound in it. I'm still working it all out, so please excuse some of the uh, edges. They're a little bit rough at the moment, but um, just have some patience with me and enjoy. Thank you. Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Excellent. Fabulous. Um, me and William were just talking about how we actually know each other because it's been uh, 15 years? 16? Nearly 15. Nearly 15 oh, wow. years, yeah. But we've never, I don't think we've, have we met? Have we met? No. We haven't, no. No, we haven't, have we? That's hilarious. It's what the beauty of Grinder does, it brings people together. How <laughs> LGBT related is that? <laughs> um, and I've known Grace for like uh, a couple of years? Years? Two? Four? I think so. One or two. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Through the wonderful uh, Dot Cotton Club, I imagine. When it's, whether Amazing. I'm in, I'm in drag or as a boy, I can't remember because I'm always drunk. You were in drag uh, and we were in the bathroom and you were consulting everyone that came in on yes. their hair. <laughs> Sounds like me. Todd. They asked for it and I'm a hairdresser and obviously I looked fabulous. That's in true. Toilets, it know. was incredible. <laughs> Thank you. You still haven't done my hair yet, just saying. Well, you know. It's been 15 years. I, I would say this is the year, but with lockdown, probably <laughs> not. <laughs> this isn't the year for much. No. no, it's really not. No. Um, so we are going to have a little casual chat about the wonderful, um, or not so wonderful in some people's opinions, Section 28. Yes. So just to kind of get a feel for, I guess, what it is, or I don't know whether we've thought about it that much, because I really hadn't thought about it before I started just getting into what I'm doing now to become more aware of things that have happened around mm -hmm. me and like to the community I guess um, it never really crossed my r mind and now doing research on it it's um, it's amazing to realize the sort of gravity of the effects of what it's done to people and still does to people today um, and I get quite emotional about it. I didn't really expect that, but I think I always do whenever I read um, read something about how part of the community has been treated and you still see those kind of effects happening today. It's, it's horrific and it does wake you up to these things. Um, have, how long have you two sort of kind of known about it I guess has it gone back quite a long way with you, or when were you when were you first sort of when did your awareness first sort of come around for it? So for me, um, I started learning about Section Twenty Eight um, just as I started to um, 
kind of actually do it as a research topic. I was really passionate about making sure that I um, I put out work into the world that was about the things that I care about the most. And I've done a lot of LGBT activism in the past, and that was nice. kind of where I wanted to focus myself. And then um, I, I actually, I rang my mom and I was like, I'm learning a lot about Section 28. And since, because my mom's a teacher, I was asking her about uh, what she thought about me doing it as a research project. Nice. Uh, and she actually said, I've never heard of that. I don't think you should do it because it's not going to be relevant and it's not going to be something that people care about as a piece of research. Really? She, she really did. Uh, and obviously she's changed her mind since learning more, but I actually found out that my mom trained as a teacher while Section 28 was still in legislation mm -hmm. and yet just had no knowledge of its existence, just this shroud of not being able to have these uh, discussions in schools. Uh, and that got me really motivated to find out a lot more and a lot more about how it impacted my life. And it's been a big spiral. Um, when, when were you born? 1994. Okay, so it had been around for what, like four, five, six years by then? Yeah. Um, it's crazy, isn't it? When we're, we're that age, I was, so I was born in 1990. Um, yeah. All those years, 12, 14 years that it was around, I had no idea about it. But then you can look back now and sort of think, oh, that's why none of the teachers could sort of reach out and help or they just had no idea what to do um, it just wasn't mentioned um, what about you William how long have you do you probably called William or Will uh, call me what you like now so I did some volunteer work like some of that kind of self volunteer work you can do by like downloading materials for uh, the World Health um, World AIDS Trust back in 2005 when I was in year 12, um, kind of coming to terms with my own sexuality, but it wasn't really about that um, because at that moment in time, uh, well, just in 2003, the government had done this campaign finally to fight the stigma of HIV and AIDS. Yeah. Cause to that point onwards, it, I think it had really all have been about fighting HIV and AIDS and then there was a stigma that went along it, the whole, oh, don't share a toilet with someone that's got HIV or don't use the same toothbrush kind of thing. Um, and that was coming about. And then some of the research materials spoke about Section uh, 28. So that's when I kind of began to familiarise myself with it. And I kind of began to think about, was Section 28 kind of a something political to push people away from homosexuality or was it really something a really bad way of trying to reduce or stop this uh hiv aids pandemic because it really was at the height of the yeah. pandemic mm -hmm. that section 28 came about yeah. and for me i just think it was a really because if you look at the wording a promotion of you know, a normal lifestyle. It's not really telling you to grab your pitchforks and storm down the street and grab every gay man you can find and, you know, whatever. I think it was just a bad way of telling people to be careful of HIV and AIDS, you know? It, it definitely, in well, from what I've read, a bad way of putting it because, I mean, 
it was it was a law that was enforced and what Margaret Thatcher said um, yeah. about it being like giving people an inalienable right to feel like that homosexual homosexuality is fine um, yeah and it was it was totally done in the wrong way what um, absolutely yeah and I think that you know something I think we can all agree no matter whether you are on the left or you're on the right nowadays no one would think that section 28 was a good idea you know it's it it was stupid it didn't do what I think it intended to do and if anything it scared a whole generation of gay men you know so to, for the future and what was to come you know uh but then also when i look at section 28 i really see real fights that the gay community had to well fight during the 80s and the early 90s leading all the way up to civil partnerships in the late 2000s um you know that was for me the real era of people pushing for equal rights for the lgbt community if yeah i mean if anything it in a way it did um strengthen people's desire to kind of fight for their rights with it as well so kind yeah. of um i was reading in a way it it allowed people words um like we might not have progressed as far as we have now if we didn't have it come in um, absolutely because it it made people really think and go for things in a different way and yeah. i think that's a really interesting way of looking at it i think that um that's a common oh sorry it's fine <laughs> <laughs> i'll start that sentence again it's right. uh, it's a really interesting way of looking at it i think often when uh I think, I mean, in many different types of communities, um, there's a tendency to look at the um, kind of negative experiences, the traumatic experiences and think, well, if those things hadn't happened, we wouldn't be in the place that we are now, which is mm -hmm. obviously important because, you know, time is linear. Um, but I do think that there shouldn't have to be an obligation uh, or a thankfulness or any kind of attitude where we're expected to suffer through mm -hmm. trauma to get to uh, a point of acceptance um, in our politics and in our lives, especially when we like look at the origins of Section 28, which absolutely coincide with the AIDS crisis very dramatically. Uh, but it's, I think, a lot more based in the response of queer people being able to um, live their lives much more openly once uh, being gay was legalised in the UK and the impact that that had on not just gay men uh, but on all um, gay, lesbian, bisexual, queer people um, and obviously all of the sexualities. Yes. There was one thing I was going to say based on Section 28 and talking about how things can come out of it. One thing I think, not that there is nothing <laughs> that I per se agree with in Section 28, however I've always had I've changed a lot in my ideology from when I was younger and I first came out and I felt like, right, I'm gay, I've got to do this, think like this, dress like this, yeah. wear like this, or I am not gay, you know? Um, mm. It's just simply not the case anymore. Um, were, you, were you a bit um, sort of internalised 
homophobic towards yourself in a way then um no i definitely am now (laughs) um not i'm not internalized homophobia at all i i am who i am but before i am gay i am william i'm british i'm male i'm so many things before Mm. i'm gay you know you wouldn't go up for me you wouldn't go up to i wouldn't go up to my mum and she wouldn't go oh i'm will's mum and i'm straight you know because i i I believe that discrimination and continues can continue if we continue to segregate ourselves. Yeah. So the more that I just play a part as who I am without really necessarily needing to define myself, I can integrate into kind of normal society, but normal is not what I generally use. Um, no, but in terms of... Because then that kind of makes everything else like if it's not normal then we are not going to fit into that part of society which is like a constant battle which i've had in a long time and yeah. still have today because yeah. i'm not fitting in to what is categorically mm. normal a lot of things which are maybe a bit closer to home mm. um i always believe that when i went to school i was going to school to learn about math english science history etc etc yeah and when it came to more perhaps you know intimate things say intimate things different things in the world it was always my mum she always said that she preferred to tell me about them because she knew me and she knew how I would take things better and she knew how someone should see the world whereas perhaps when you go into a completely though nobody does we're children we don't have the maturity to even know ourselves you know when we're in primary school etc I actually so it, um, knew that I was queer from a very young age. Did you? Obviously, didn't um, that was not an age where I was acting on anything sexually, um, but I always knew that I found everybody very attractive, and I thought that was just what everybody thought for a very long time. Uh, hmm. <laughs> and how, then... how? What sort of age were you when you came into that find? Um, I I remember actively thinking it under ten definitely okay. yeah um but obviously i didn't think that it was something revolutionary yeah, yeah i thought yeah. it was just the way that everybody thought about everyone yeah, um yeah. and then it's kind of learning homophobia and internalizing that yeah. as you grow older um and then mm. kind of going into self-censorship which is i mean actually mm. something that section 28 does really well from the way that they um, implemented it. It's, um, homophobia is an act of self-censorship where it puts the onus onto LGBT people to keep ourselves hidden, to keep ourselves... Keep yourselves uh, in check. Absolutely, and oh to try God. and assimilate into yeah. uh, cultures that you might not want to. Um, for example, um, like the wording in the section 28 clause of the pretend family relationships uh is obviously really terrible because no family structure is pretend it should be embraced you can be a family uh with people you aren't blood related to people you are a whole mixture um but that was really kind of penalized at the time and i think a lot of the response to that has been trying to assimilate into the nuclear family, which was part a big part of uh, Thatcher's uh, political ideology, which yeah. you were trying to impose yeah. at the time. Um, 
and while that's uh, not a bad about, thing because about normal families... heterosexual lifestyle sort of thing absolutely yeah. white picket fence nuclear family right okay, the whole okay. the neat package uh, mm. that gets sold to us in the media i think yeah. um and i think yeah we've spent so long uh feeling that we needed to assimilate and obviously there's nothing wrong with uh, a nuclear family there is something wrong with that being the only concept of a family yes yeah well it's like growing up and this comes up time and time again whenever i speak to people when you're growing up you never have any other representation if you're someone like me or you too as well mm -hmm. you know whether that's a similar feeling you grow up yeah. and you might not have such a representation and you have that one view um of how to live um and you might not have someone else to tell us you might not have parents that know how to share a different view or are not open-minded themselves about these things um, as much as they'll accept you and love you for whatever you are they still don't understand it or know how to talk about it as parents because they're either afraid or who knows I, I think there is i think i was relatively lucky i think i was very lucky with my mother there was she was never afraid to tell me anything because well like she always used to say to me you're going to find out in the end so i'd rather it came from me um and that was never in a bad way like for example i found out a few years ago that we used to go on holiday quite regularly with my mum's best friend mm -hmm. and he's gay and i never knew from two years old he came on holiday with his best friend who turned out to be his boyfriend at the time so i was always surrounded by gay men just never knew and it's just it so for me i felt quite lucky in the terms that my mother was so overly accepting but she never say rubbed it in my face because she wanted me to discover who I was and who I can be on my own terms as an individual um, which I think made me a stronger person today because I kind of on the other side of the family on my father's side I went through a very different kind of experience you know I had that feeling of I internalize who I am I shouldn't be this way da -da 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 -da. and it made me stronger as a gay man by the time I did come out because I realized that it was all down to me on how I chose to live my life mm. but I knew that there were more battles to come and I could kind of see that when I looked at section 28 but luckily our age group and our age bracket I feel like some of the by the time we left went to university or went into the workplace Yes, there were some battles still that needed to be fought, but thankfully our age group didn't have to deal with the majority of, for me, the big stuff, like the Stonewall, the Section 28, the AIDS crisis, discrimination in law, etc. So yeah. for that, you know, I'm thankful to the people that came before me. Yeah, definitely, because it has, it has gotten better from what it was, obviously, before when it was very rough, you could say. Yeah. Um, still, life wasn't that easy growing up, um, and it no. still isn't in certain places, obviously. Um, yeah. That's why it's, I think it's still so important to bring awareness on these sure. topics. Definitely. 100%. I think something that um, a lot of people don't actually know as well is how recently Section 28 was actually repealed. It's so recent. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. It was only 2003. Yeah, yeah. And there was an attempt before yeah. that in 2001. Yes. 
and it, it does it feels like uh, a really long time ago sometimes but it is actually so recent and we're only this last the past year in 2020 like actually seeing legislation about um the, uh, education about um same-sex relationships sure. in schools yeah, and that's not even to to mention education about trans rights mm-hmm. and trans people um yeah yeah i know my friend he uh, works in a school and he's trying to get them to um work more on lgbtqia plus mm. topics um to get the school talking about it and either to talk about the bullying or just different subjects and get the kids more involved um which just sounds amazing it's just a very steep hill that he's having to climb with it Mm. um i do hear that some other schools are more open to it to these things but i guess it depends who is running the school and what they what they can push and whatever it's still it still feels weird though that it's not like a normal thing to talk about absolutely did you hear about the um the riots in birmingham from i think we're actually coming up on the (laughs) it was january okay of 2019 uh there was a school in birmingham and the deputy head teacher put in a program of education uh which i can't remember the specific name or the details of it but it was based around um equality uh and different types of families um being gay being a lesbian being bisexual um but it was also around different faiths different races uh it was a really strong kind of like uh push to show children that there was you know lots of different lifestyles and different people and cultures Mm -hmm. in the world um and for a, a really really long time i think it was it must have been about six months that it was in the media for there was protests outside the school uh from parents and other people in the community against there being education about um lgbt relationships why do you think there is still such uh, uh like a fight or a fear about the education of gay rights or gay life lifestyles <laughs> that we choose in, you know why is it such a why do you think people are still weird about it or <coughs> angry about it i personally think and feel free to um jump in william um i I'm think sure. it's because of the the stigma that's been put around uh queer communities and mm. is repeating itself now it's still uh, in endures, the media about it? trans people mm-hmm. yeah if we look at what's happening in the media to trans people now it's near identical to what yeah. happened in the media when section 28 was introduced and a big part of that is that queer people are dangerous to children that is a myth that gets pushed quite severely well, it's, and it's, i think that's why oh in schools it becomes such a hot topic it's yeah, um it's like when section 28 was being talked about it was more like the gay men were the ones that were the pedos and the, mm-hmm. but the women, the lesbians, oh no, they wouldn't do that. It's not them. It's not them that do that. It's not them that spread the diseases. It's literally what was said. Um, mm-hmm. So they weren't seen as like the bigger problem of Section 28. It was mm-hmm. almost more aimed at the gay men. Um, yeah, and I, I think you're, you kind of hit the nail on the head quite a bit, um, Grace. But I have to interject in a little bit in a way that I think 
that there is, even from my point of view as well, I think there's a little bit of tiredness and just a little bit of irritation that um, for a while when I turned on the TV, it would be more and more and more of um, TV programs and interviews, et cetera, et cetera, about LGBT, 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 which is fine and good and always bringing awareness is always good. But it's the constant complaining about certain things which I think seem perhaps trivial to me complaining from and who? to the from um well both the lgbt community and those who are against it as well the whole convers it's not even a conversation anymore it's a screaming match really is what i see i don't see um you know polite political uh conversation as like the three of us are having now we're sitting having a conversation talking about what our viewpoints are it's and calm, you know at the moment it's calm. <laughs> I don't raise my voice. I'm like, drink some vodka, everybody. Uh, <laughs> I've got, <laughs> I've got green tea. If you do, tea, I will. So. It'd be like we're back in the toilets comparing hair. Oh my god. Oh god. Um, well, I'm, no, sorry. Carry I've on. got green tea, so I've got green tea, so I'm going to be fine. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I think a little bit of it, and for a little bit of the population, it's a little bit you know tired you know that whole you know i don't need to hear about it all the time it's i hate saying that but it is a little bit of that it's a little bit of thing like that i don't go to pride events anymore i don't do any of that i i mean in theory i mean this might shock you but i didn't support marriage equality um i support i supported uh civil partnerships i always fought for civil partnerships always something I worried about when I was younger that I wouldn't be able to visit my partner in a hospital I wouldn't be able to leave everything to them etc 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 because of law for me the real difference between marriage and you know civil partnerships is the religious aspect religious aspect um so for me considering you know Christians aren't our biggest fans it really didn't bother me um but in terms of you know talking about education and talking about it in schools i think it's more of a case not more of a case but also a case of tiredness you know it's the same with brexit after you know people constantly hearing about it and all of that stuff people became tired they just became angry and i think also when i've spoken to older generations people in there that are gay that are perhaps in their 40s and their 50s that i know perhaps it's just the small group of uh, gay men that I know, it seems when they look at some of the issues that the younger generation of the LGBT community are fighting over, they get angry because to them, it make, they make it out that what they are fighting for and the issues that they say they are fighting against today makes Section 28 almost look trivial, or they make it out to be trivial compared to what their suffrages today you know but then so just to jump in this mm. like section 28 was their fight which gave us a step in a direction to keep going sure. where we're going now sort of thing so as much mm. it's a different it's a different journey in a way and you're still 
do you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. and like what what Grace was saying about um, so trans rights, and I really, I'd love to be more involved in this. For some reason, it really sits with me. I get really passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Um, about trans people because there's still so much yeah. bullshit against trans people and I don't know there's something that sits with me and I know what it's like to I know it's different but when I'm in drag and I can be a bit more of a, a woman or seen as a woman I get treated mm-hmm. completely differently um, sure. whether that's good or bad it can be either yeah. and people who are living the journey of being trans the way they can get t- treated is disgusting at the drop of a hat. So people still yeah. need to make a noise to to make change. So as much as people are tired of it and like worn out or I've heard it before, it it's tough titties. Yeah. You kind of have to hear it again and again. Oh people yeah. are still going to have ha- have a rough time either in the workplace, walking down the street or whatever to get mm-hmm. the to get a really uh, simple normal way of life without having to be looked at like something different do you know what i mean but i think it's it's that kind of laziness where until it affects them personally in their life they're not really going to do anything about it i think it depends sometimes where where if you're someone that passes as in terms of you kind of blend in with society or or are a bit more normal and you fit into a certain category then yeah you might not be phased by it at all because it doesn't affect you even though deep down it does it is in there somewhere and it does affect you in certain ways does that make sense yeah i was drawing more of a comment to the say heterosexual community you know the reason they may switch over channels is because it's like oh lgbt news that's nothing to do with me i'm going to switch over you know it's about having more of a conversation with the people that it doesn't affect and perhaps aren't within this circle of a community there needs to be a real outreach but an outreach in a way which could start a conversation you know but i think there Um, there there is though right there are other people that there are people who are heterosexual allies who do um Mm. step up and and fight for our rights mm-hmm. of course you know yeah 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 it's more like in terms of the people that riot and stuff and have no time for the lgbt community it's it's about reaching them because it's really you know we talk about you should they say that you should listen to the minorities because you know they're minorities but in order to to build up the minority you need the support of the majority and the majority still in this country are heterosexuals you know uh, the white picket fence family so it's about reaching out in a way which they can see the the strife and the pain of of perhaps you know trans people i absolutely understand what you're saying and i think in terms of especially things like law and legislation uh you need to kind of find a majority to to back that lobby like lobbying organizations like stonewall really kind of specialize in appealing yeah. to a majority vote um personally i'm a big believer in direct action i'm a big believer in the fact that i won't wait for straight people to give me my rights i will take them and direct action is a really sure. important part of that grassroots activism is a really important part of that um especially after brexit uh, the rise in homophobic attacks the rise in transphobic attacks i think it's 
just under 150%. It rose in mm-hmm. the UK. Mm-hmm. That, that might even just be England. I think I'm going to say the UK to be safe uh, because yeah. I don't have statistics in front of me. Um, but I'm, I'm Googling, the, so carry on. <laughs> the, <laughs> the complete surge in discrimination has been catastrophic, and especially for trans people in the last few years. Um, mm. And and if we're honest, the lack of support that's been behind them from the rest of the LGBT community, uh, trans activists have always been on the front lines of gay rights issues. I think they're incredible. It, I just because they have to, they have to f- learn so much about themselves and fight so hard for what they want. They have such um, passion and fire and love behind them. I, I they're really inspiring mm. to me. Oh, they really are. Yeah, it's really incredible. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 really like you know interesting when you look at the LGBT community as a whole, um, because back when the let's say the gay movement started, it was just L and G, you know, and then it was controversial when bisexual people wanted in as well, you know, and that was even like oh I don't know because you know you're not hundred percent gay certified. Yep. kind of thing yep. and then it's still controversial for a lot of people yes it is i think even like even with um and then trans um when they wanted to become lgbt that was even more controversial because uh, the lgb were like it's about love and you know t came along and it became about perhaps more about gender and that became really quite a you know, controversial thing as well. There's even groups now which call themselves the LGB, you know? So even within the community of the LGBT, I've always said, once you become comfortable with who you are and you join the LGBT community, there's another fight of discrimination within our own community. And I believe that until we fight the discrimination that is within our own community, then we're never going to really be able to fight outside of it. Yeah, do you, yeah, sorry. Do you mean like as in like gays hating bi's and trans and whoever sort of as a uh, as a rough I'd say. That but also the underlying um discrimination based on how you look, what your weight is, sure. you know. You know, people take it as stuff as rather quite simple, but you know, you'll know this, uh Todd. No fats, no femmes, no Asians. Yeah. Uh-huh. I feel like we've all heard that in this chat conversation, probably. You know, it's, I'm sorry, but at the end of the day, as much as it might be your sexual preference, you have literally just, someone's just read that and just questioned what's wrong with them. And we are supposed to be this community of all loving, all encompassing, we all care about each other, but I would never, ever step foot in a gay bar again if you paid me a million pounds. But I feel like... I would ne- you know and same i'd never go to i'd never go to pride again if you paid me a million pounds so fair enough fair enough like i i still i love going to a gay bar or a pride event because for me it feels it can feel extremely safe um and oh sorry i'm just trashing my place um (laughs) i feel like i can meet individuals who are like-minded yes not everyone is going to be my cup of tea there and i'm not here to be best friends with everybody but Mm. i can still bring the version of um, sort of LGBTQIA that I want to bring around me. And if I'm so focused on that, I don't have to almost 
look at the the negative or the whoever's making it maybe trashy in a way you know it's like each to yeah. their own do what you need to do um, i completely agree and also um i think the more that we can challenge these things in our community events yes, uh, yeah. is really important um discrimination is never a sexual preference the other thing that i always think is is really important when uh where at different events having different conversations is to consider that there isn't actually an lgbt community there is lots of different lgbt communities that believe in different kinds of activism and different ways of identifying and different political mm -hmm. identities and things like that and that these communities have always been here uh, i think it's actually a, a really common trend to find in discussion uh, to talk about how um trans issues are new when actually they're as old as any history. Yes. Um, there was a oh, yeah. really active um, attempt to erase a lot of trans history, particularly in World War II. And who knows what we could have known about trans lives that we can't have the knowledge of now because it's been completely erased from us. Sure. Um, and it's important that we keep upholding that trans people have always been here, bisexual people have always been here, people who are just discriminated against in our community. They have always mm. been here. Yeah, and exactly. despite these burnings of knowledge, these clauses like Section 28, they're going to keep being here. Yeah, I mean, with Section 28, as much as they tried to lock everything behind a wall and wipe the memories of every single person in the UK, it's not possible. People know gay people exist, you know, it, it was never going to do the job it intended to. It was ridiculous to even pass it. And if it did anything, it removed a whole swift of voters away and pushed the Labour Party into power, you know, um, which it did for a very, very long time. Um, but the one thing I do, like, you know, we talk about all loads of different communities within... Um, with the encompass the lgbt community there is one like i've i spoke to um todd about this and there is i've my viewpoints they haven't when i first knew todd i was very liberal i was very left because i felt that's what my viewpoints have to be and i'm kind of more of a centralized person that listens to both sides of the argument before making a decision you know, so sometimes my political viewpoints fall to the right, sometimes they fall to the left, who knows. And one thing I don't enjoy is, like I said earlier, is this almost, there could be like a hint of venom behind when people try to talk about certain topics. And I know that it can come from a place of upset and anger, but it's not what is maybe called for at times, because there are people within the community that are poor, even that don't support, um, uh, not support, but aren't perhaps in favor of trans rights, you know? So there are even people in our own community that are against what supposedly our community stands for. So again, that's talking about, um, you know, fighting and talking with our own, within our own community. There's a group called the LGB Alliance. So clearly from the name, you can tell oh that the T I is missing. Like make notes on this. Yeah, I didn't, um, didn't really think it was still like, pr 
cousin. The, yes, the LGB Alliance, which um, I follow because it's always interesting to follow all political opinions on all sides. So you have more of an encompassed kind of... Um, well, you can know what's going on, can't you, as well? So exactly. You know, and it was everything with the JK Rowling, etc. Um, and everything like that. It's It's just... There's so much still, I think, left for people to try and understand about trans, but that's still no excuse, if you know what I mean, to discriminate against them I think and who I they are. I understand where you're coming from. Um, I don't think I would agree in the same way. Um, I've, I pride myself on often listening to lots of different political opinions and reading different news sources, um, mm. but I'm more, I'm more likely to read about different ways to achieve trans rights different sure. methods of discussion Absolutely. and not likely to follow anything that talks about whether trans rights are valid or not whether they should be allowed or not for me that's not um that's not political dissent that's basic human rights that are being yeah. denied to someone and the lgb alliance uh propagates this uh this transphobic uh doctrine everywhere that they go um, I find them to be a hate group, personally. Yeah, well, they sound... They don't, not I think, a cup of tea. I think you can definitely... I can see why people would distance themselves from the LGB alliance. It's, it's definitely something that I feel would really upset a lot of people because they don't mince their words at all. But the founder of it was actually one of the original founders of Stonewall. It shows you even within generations, how viewpoints haven't changed, even if you might be part of that generation, you know, back in the 1980s, it's those people in the 1980s that have started this so-called right-wing LGB alliance. So there's still dissent within our own community that is, in my opinion, needed to be overcome and talked about, because I feel in my mind, if if we can't even come to some consensus or conversation or mutual talking point um, without a, an understanding of anger behind it, it's going to be very difficult for us to convince people outside of the LGBT community that about what we're trying to do. I was going to say um, what Grace was saying about, I think this is what you were saying, about um, like different groups within the LGBT community are going to have sort of different communities and opinions Mm. and ways of being about things um, about different issues Um, and that's that's just like any community as well though isn't it yeah absolutely I think if we were waiting for everyone who identified as um, part of the LGBT community or an LGBT community to agree on an issue, we'd never ever get anything done. That's not something we should ever wait for. No. Um, I think there's a lot of things that the three of us aren't going to agree on, um, mm. and we're still going to be able to have these conversations. Also, particularly, um, I, I, I don't count myself as somebody that's in the middle. I definitely lean to the far left. Um, and yet, I do still feel able to have uh, level conversations with people about different opinions, politics, things like that. Uh, Which I, I fully spaces, respect, yeah. 
yeah, I think like, the spaces can still be found whether you're in a middle ground or whether you're on a left or a right. Mm. You know, it's, it's, and I, I have so much respect for people that can have, you know, political conversation. And when I was mentioning about, you know, people coming to a consensus about stuff, I think it's more, consensus wasn't really the right word to use. It was a respect for one another and what you're fighting mm. for, you know? If, if you have respect for each other's causes, what you're fighting for, you can agree to disagree, you know? But if, if there's hatred behind it, totally, you know, tell them to do one. But if you've got the respect for one another and that it's, you know, I, I feel like you're more likely to get somewhere. And... I think that's very admirable and understandable. Um, personally, I don't think I could respect a group uh, that was actively against trans rights. I couldn't respect that opinion. Because um, then you're like, or... you're talking to a brick wall, aren't you? Absolutely, because to respect it gives it a level of authority or cadence that I just wouldn't ever uh, get on board with. To um to go back to section twenty eight a little bit, um, yeah. I wanted to mention because we were you mentioned briefly, William, about um some of the um older generations from Stormwall, for example, um who were yeah. in, um who were now leading different groups now. Uh, I had some yeah. really interesting conversations as part of my research um, sure. with people who uh, were teaching or in the police um, or doing community activism during uh, many different points of Section 28 or people who were just in schools. And mm. it's really interesting to see how people kind of got politicised by Section 28 and what it kind of like showed uh in different communities and i mean obviously it was it was really heartbreaking stuff to listen to um but it definitely showed a variety of perspectives of people there was a um a local uh teacher that i spoke to obviously i won't say more because of confidentiality um of course and she, she was um she was she's still doing stuff now which is incredible for um lgbt students in schools um and i, I I always think of her when I'm thinking about Section 28, as she was talking about how uh, the time she had in school and how that's kind of brought her to a place now where she knows how important it is and puts on so much um, for kids who need yeah, it. And yeah. it's just remarkable to see how far people come. Mm. It's, it's in 40 years for gay rights as from where it was to where it is now, it has come leaps and bounds. and for that it's just wonderful to see but it always every time you know it rolls around section 28's anniversary it, like Todd you were saying it, it's upsetting that we had to go through that to get to the point we're at where mm -hmm. I can walk down the street with my partner holding their hand and you know not have to feel worried about it as much as back in the 1990s we just have to be thankful that we live in the uk as one of the most progressive countries in the world um as much as you know trans rights are still there there are still protests there are still people that are against us when we look at the rest of the world yes you know sweden is very progressive the scandinavian countries are very progressive there are some ones in europe which are the uk the us they're all 
far above their eastern counterparts, you know, in countries where people are still killed for being gay. I mean, there's, yeah, I guess there's still being, um, like, thankful and appreciative of where we are. Um, but definitely not getting comfortable with that and being like, oh, no, of course not. Fine now. Absolutely. No, and I, it's really easy to do that, you know, like, I've never... I've never got into fighting for rights or anything. It was only last year with the Black Lives Matter where I I just got really passionate about it and it just mm. it's something mm. you have to keep the ball rolling on. Um and it's Absolutely. definitely why I want to why I'm doing this podcast again like I've said this a million times just to get me more in it and more involved because it does matter and I don't want to get comfortable and just let let stuff go by and sort of think Oh, someone else will do that, you know? Absolutely. I don't like thinking like that, and I think it's it's time to kind of wake up other people's minds with it. Absolutely. And, you know, Grace, you talk about the activism that you've done. I have so much respect for you, untold respect for anyone that goes into the streets for a cause that they fight for, you know, and that they believe in. Because without people like that, for example, the suffragettes and people that walk through the streets during the Section 28 protests, etc. We wouldn't be where we are today. People have lost their mm. lives for the course of where we are. And that's why I say to be thankful for where we are, because people have died to get where we are today. Do we still have a road to go down? Absolutely. But I feel that every now and again, we should stop and think, you know, I'm thankful that I can, <clears throat> you know, that drag is in the mainstream media i'm thankful that i can love who i am and get married to them and know that they can be taken care of when i pass away or visit me in hospital you know mm -hmm. it's always important to be thankful every now and again just to give us that little bit more boost and that little bit more energy to continue driving forward and that's why we have a gay month <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> I, I totally agree. I think it's it's so important to stay thankful for where we are. We really do. We stand on the the shoulders of people who've come before us. Um, mm. But I think that's also why we need to continue to be really active, uh, even outside the parameters that you think of. Um, people are people are still uh, assaulted in the UK regularly and atrociously um, for being uh, LGBT or perceived as not being yeah. straight or not being cisgender um and we i think we also should think when we talk about other countries who have uh different policies different death penalties for example for not being straight we should we also need to think about how those policies got there and how colonialism from britain was taken over those countries and these beliefs were passed around the world by our island sure. and what responsibility we have to help the rest of the world mm. not yeah, in a way think... that's like white saviour just in a way that's like taking responsibility no, I, like, for... I like that though because it is wherever <laughs> i'm sorry but like to break everything down we're all humans wherever mm. we are around this yeah. round little planet we're all human beings at the end of the day regardless of anything else so it should it should be other looking out for each other fighting for each other because i certainly know other countries who you know people within those countries who are under the lgbt umbrella are going to be thinking the same about us okay well yeah that was that was great that was that was interesting and it's brought up a lot of other things as well a lot of mm -hmm. other topics 
Um, ideas for your future podcast. Oh my god, so many already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much for making this happen, Todd. That percent yeah, both being on I, board with me about it. Hundred percent, and I'm so glad. Just want to put it out there that there have been so many different shit, different viewpoints tonight, and <laughs> yeah. I've I've learned a lot. I genuinely have learned mm. a lot from you, Grace and Todd, and. I'm going to go away thinking more about, you know, decisions I make in the future and viewpoints and how I perceive things when I go about doing things. So I just want to say thank you to the both of you as well. well I've definitely you. learned some things as well. You know. It's, so, yeah, um, thank you very much. Good. Yeah, thank you. It's all about that, you know, getting people to um, just sort of think think about things or rethink what they already know, you know, and change our perception. Mm of mm-hmm. you know yeah how things are and doesn't mean they necessarily have to be that way just because it is no yeah um, exactly and even if they don't change their minds perhaps they'll walk away with a bit more compassion yeah for people with differentiating viewpoints mm-hmm. so we can really ask for in the world with a bit more compassion even so. if we disagree with them exactly and that's <laughs> that's why my sofa Sits in the middle with plenty of space for other people. So. <laughs> is is there any sort of um, either like a TV program, a series, or a book, or anything that either w- of you would like recommend on this kind of topic, or just something in oh. the community? It can be anything like LGBT. Todd, I own so many books on this subject. <laughs> 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 I actually, I actually thought about this before I came on, you know, about what books I would recommend, and I just have like, to. Just like one book, you have to choose one, Grace, calm down. Oh, <laughs> well, I'll choose my, um, I will choose my more radical and challenging one okay, out of the fab. two. Uh, it's called Against Equality, Queer Revolution, Not Mere Inclusion. It's edited by Ryan Conrad. Uh, and it's about. <laughs> we can hear William searching for it now. I am. I am Amazon. <laughs> I was trying to figure out where the noise was. That's good. <laughs> it's not a rat in my walls. It's William talking. Uh, <laughs> and I think I think you'll like it, William, because it's uh, it's against marriage. It's against gay marriage. So. I think you'll um, like it. <laughs> but it is. It's actually. It's about. Um. It's about uh, not wanting to just be assimilated into a society and forget about the queer roots that we come from. About having these other family structures, these other ways of living, and not just becoming part of a grain for the sake of doing it. If I was to recommend a book, I mean, it's what it's the reason why we've come to talk about it today. If you don't know why we're talking about section 28, read Jenny Lives with Erica Martin. That sparked <gasps> all of this. My cousin you know, shared that to me. It's, it's a great recommendation. It's, it, it's why it was the children children's book. And when I say children's book to people, they're shocked that it a children's book could change law and legislation oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's why i say if you can still get hold of it or if there's like an online I'm version sure of it you can it. watch mm. just have a look at it and see the co- but imagine you're in the 1980s yeah, don't imagine that you're in 2021 in you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. in the middle of the aids crisis just imagine you're reading it then and then see why it sparked what it sparked right <laughs> 
we shall somehow sign this off now. So yes, I've been William Barnes, <laughs> and I've been Grace Anderson, <laughs> and this is the, our story. Bye. Oh my god. Rip. Oh, Bye. Nice to meet you, William. <laughs> and you, my darling. Take care. <laughs> you too. I'll tell you soon, Todd. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Go away, William. <laughs> Have fun trying. <laughs> <laughs> okay.